We've arrived. <laughs> Finally, at the cutting room floor. The space for conversation about the human experience, often how it intersects with scripture, but always how it is lived out faithfully in Christ. You like that? Did you plan that out? Did no, you write no. it, Where's the notes at? I, I like that one. Where are the notes? You know you're not going to be able to remember that. Say it again. Say what you just said again. I don't remember. <laughs> it was something about. <laughs> it was something along Welcome the Welcome to the cutting room floor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're trying to have these conversations, and this is for anyone who's listening. What's your name? Chris Eden. I'm Chris Eden. I'm the pastor at Memorial Church. Really? You're going to put that in there? Like, do we need to introduce ourselves? Yeah, they need to, people need to get to know us. All right, so. You I'm can't Chris. just have, like, random white dude one and random looks white dude two. <laughs> like, you can't have that. So I'm Chris Eden. I'm the pastor at Memorial Church here in Quarryville, and you are? My name is Eddie Adams. I'm the youth pastor here at Memorial Church. Let's share a little bit about the conversation that we had this morning. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So, yeah, conversation this morning. And I have been thinking about it since we had our conversation. But the idea that we've been playing with today was the idea of human experience and suffering and how Scripture, especially in John 11, deals with human experience and suffering. Mm. And so that's what got us started. And we went on for about an hour and a half, two hours. And it was <laughs> right. great. And I wish we had recorded it. And we hadn't. And at the same time, I don't want to, like, rehash the whole conversation right. like we're just now having it or something. Right. So that didn't seem fair. But I was thinking afterwards in this podcast, in just in general in the podcast, um, that connection of Scripture to the human experience I think is really interesting. And I know it's interesting to you that we often read Scripture and we're reading it either intellectually or we're reading it for some deep spiritual insight or we're reading it because our parents told us to. Mm. You know, there's all these different reasons we read it. And one of the things I think that is helpful to do is to slow down when we're reading it and try and feel what the people in the text are feeling, mm. which is impossible to do completely accurately because we're not them. Our experiences are not the exact same as their experiences. But I think we can approximate some of it, um, and it helps. So today we were looking at some people that had lost their brother. I think to start with that is you ask the question, have you ever had a family member die? I haven't had a significant family member die. Okay. Does that make sense? Like not a mom, not a dad, uh, not a brother or sister. I had a grandmother die, uh, yeah. but I was young, and so I didn't really feel the weight of that, yeah. and I didn't really know her as well. So I have not experienced that type of loss before in my family. Okay. Does that make sense? Can you think of someone who is close to you who has? Hmm. Like a specific situation. I don't feel like necessarily close, but I've, I've, so like I went to school with someone who had passed away due to a car accident in college. Okay. And that was kind of a weird moment because it wasn't, it wasn't like I was experiencing the direct loss because I don't want to pretend or make it seem like I knew the person super well, but mm -hmm. we ran around in the same friend groups and it was a small college. So it was kind of like you knew everybody to some extent. And so when that person passed away, that was kind of like, it made me internalize, oh, that's right, I'm going to die one day. And they were 22, and I was yeah. 21. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to die one day. And then it was just a weird type of suffering that everybody experienced. Like, they were processing their own loss, they were processing their own life, um, and they grieved the loss that they had, especially people that were close to her. And this was a school arrangement? I mean, they were, you were on the same school together? Yeah, we went same college. Okay. Did they, like, did the campus acknowledge the death? Was there oh, yeah. a, a Pretty warning? Good. What was that like? What, what, how did they do that? 
the thing that when the time period it happened was over like a winter break mm. so it happened when this person was home so they acknowledged it on like social media and all those kind of things and then when we got back acknowledged it but the the funeral and the, the proceedings and stuff happened happened while it was out of school like okay. it was it was winter break so it really wasn't happening um on the campus but you could tell like when everybody came back to the campus there was just that weird air that was just floating there just like oh that's right like somebody we saw all the time yeah. is no longer here and it's a weird feeling did they uh did they do any like one-to-ones with you guys as students for some people they had like but not, counseling because you, you not me like, yeah i was i was removed from it enough sure like so it wasn't just like a thing that i was processing and dealing with past that yeah month period when i was in college my one of my closest friends at the time mm-hmm. he uh he had a cousin who died in this it was a restaurant that she worked at um and it was a it was a murder kind of situation. There were multiple people involved. Wow. And I I remember I knew her from a class that I took with her, but mm-hmm. I barely knew her. Right. But I knew he knew her really well. And that that distance is is a it's a big distance. Even though it's just one one person removed, it's a big distance emotionally. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't didn't hurt the same way. Mm. It was shocking and I don't remember having a, some kind of realization like you did. I think it was probably the first time that a murder, you know, right, happened that, somewhere in a sphere. It's a little me. different. Like, it's a little different, a, yeah. That's a very different experience, so, I feel like. So I think maybe I experienced, you know, I had some feelings related to that. But, yeah. but he was just devastated. And I, I remember the campus had, had addressed it a little bit. But I don't remember how. Mm. I don't remember what happened there. I, I just remember him. Trying right. to process it, right? Um, that the suffering that he went through was was obviously very different from the suffering I went through. Yeah. So. So going a little bit deeper here, like what? Like, have you had? Is there a moment? Is there a family member? Is there a loved one that you've had in your circle who has passed away that left you feeling some sort of suffering? Oh yeah 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 okay. yeah. Uh, first one that comes to mind is my dad. Mm-hmm. So my dad died um, a couple of years ago, a little little longer than that. And he's in Kansas. He was in, in Kansas. Now, my dad, when I grew up, was kind of a different man than my dad was at his dying. Mm. So when I grew up, he was self-employed carpenter, strong guy, you know, that kind of person. Really, really whip smart. He could, he could just do all kinds of stuff. And then he had this brain tumor uh, when I was a teenager that, that really kind of messed him up. And but he was recovering from that. And then when I was a young adult, he had a, a stroke that mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't like a major stroke, but it was enough to take mobility. It affect it really damaged his brain even more. Yeah. So by the time he got to the time where he was dying, he, he was in some ways a different man than than he was before. Right. And I was in uh, Pennsylvania. In fact, I remember the uh, the day I got the call. I had met with a, a group of pastors, a local pastors. I was here at this church and. I uh, met with a group group of local pastors. We were just talking about ministry here at the church, mm-hmm. and they had prayed over me. And then right after the meeting happened, um, I called my mom because she had called me during the meeting. Called my mom back, and she told me that he had had this uh, brain aneurysm and told me the circumstances. And so I told her, "Hey, I'm going to get on a plane." I told Amanda. She said, "Yeah, you're going to get on a plane." <laughs> she, I think, booked the flight, 
and we figured out how to get me there. So that would be the closest person that comes to mind. Yeah. And yeah, it sent me all around the feelings. The, the suffering that my mom was going through, suffering my sister was going through, the suffering that I was going through. Um, yeah, I remember that real well. What were some of the ways that you grieved that suffering? Emotionally distant at first, as I was thinking more logically, how do I get to Kansas? How does, you know, when's Amanda going to come with the kids? How do I be there for my mom and my sister and all that stuff? So there was that kind of numb kind of experience. Um, What was weird about it was, there's a bunch of weird things about it, but Mm -hmm. he was still in the hospital. He was on a form of life support. Okay. And he had been, since the aneurysm, losing cognition rapidly. So I, I guess when my, my mom, I think, when, when she discovered him, you know, he was out of it. He, he, but there was some slight responsiveness to him. Hmm. By the time I got there to Wichita, um, there was no responsiveness left. Right. But there he was in a, you know, in a hospital setting with a few tubes and, and some stuff going on. And they were keeping him alive. Yeah. So the, the kind of the next thing that hit me was just a wave of emotion just kind of washed over when I saw him. Right. And I don't remember when my sister came. I think she, she had, I think, been there before I got there, but then she came back and I was there and just shared grieving feeling. Right. But we were hung in the middle because he wasn't dead. He was on support, but he wasn't alive. And so the grieving was extended. Mm. Like it didn't happen like, boom, he's dead. It was not that any of us, I think, had any hope that he was going to recover from this. Right. But it was just hung in limbo. Delayed the process. Yeah. Yeah. So like I could touch him, touch his arm. Skin was warm. Wow. Weirdest thing. It was the weirdest thing for me. But he was basically dead is what right. it felt so like. Right. So whatever I expected, his skin was warm. So that was strange, but then it was really comforting. And I was like, there's my dad. And I touched, you know, but he wasn't responsive. And so mm-hmm. it's not my dad. And it's just that emotional whirlwind happened then. E- eventually he, he passed on, he was removed from life support. And the next kind of phase of grief that I remember was maybe a day or two later. No, it was, it was maybe the next day when we went back to the house. I went into his garage, which was our garage. I grew up in it where all his tools was were his dartboard uh, the place where I used to play basketball mm-hmm. like everything was there and it was all left there the way he left it mm-hmm. so every little thing that was there I knew that's the way it was there the last time you saw it yeah. and that boom just hit me again triggered you different kind of grief yeah. and then a couple days later I was I was helping my mom kind of clean some of the stuff out of the garage while I was still there and man I just lost it I don't mm-hmm. know remember what triggered it but I just lost it. It was like ugly cry, you know, one to throw things at the wall, like that kind of grief. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's all these different kinds of grief. So you had that experience where it was different stages. Yeah. What about your sister or your mother or maybe some other family members? Did they process in a different way? I think so, but I don't think I could speak for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Did it look different the way yeah, they processed Yeah, yeah, like my sister processed it differently. Um, she's 10 years younger than I am. Yeah. She's an adult, but she's 10 years younger right. than I am. And so I knew a, a different kind of phase of his life than she did. And we've talked about this, and, and we experienced him differently. Mm. We grew up in the house with him at different ages. 
So, yeah, she kind of experienced it differently. Plus, she had been in Wichita all that time. I had moved out years before to be in Pennsylvania. She was still in Wichita. So she had maintained a relationship with him on a regular basis mm-hmm. longer than I had. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my mom, yeah, definitely experienced it differently. Yeah. And one unique thing about her experience of it was she was a caregiver for him for quite some time. And so that adds a, you know, a whole dimension to it. Yeah. I, I remember her crying. I, I remember her, I think, in her bedroom crying because I spent the night at the house one time. And, and you know, she was crying. Yeah. So. And it's interesting because I feel like that, that signals that we all experience loss differently mm. in the way that we process it and the way that it causes us suffering. And that's only one type of suffering. You know yeah. what I mean? And in John 11, what we were reading this morning we see two women who had vastly different reactions to a brother who was dead. Right. Lazarus. Yeah. So it's just kind of, it's kind of interesting to, to see that each and every one of us has a different reaction toward that. And there's different levels of suffering based on what we're experiencing. So one thing's lost, but what about a season ending injury or mm-hmm. um, getting news from the doctor that, you know, like, you're only going to have one kidney for the rest of your life, and that's going to affect the way you live. Like, just random things. Season-ending injury. I've never experienced that, mm. but you have. Mm. So do you, do, you, do you track that as suffering? Yes. That was definitely... Was it grief? Definitely a point of... Oh, yeah, grief was a part of it. Okay. Yeah. Like, grief, what was it? It was for football, and I got cracked and messed up my shoulder yeah. and couldn't play that season, and it was hard... The part that was suffering is that I couldn't play. My value was tied into that so much so mm. that I was like, I'm not valuable anymore. Who am I? Why am I? Like, all that kind of stuff. Sure. And after the season, it was kind of one of these things where I was like, I have to step away. Like, mm. I can't do that anymore. And I'm not in the best environment to do that. And it's, I'm not the healthiest person when I'm doing that. And it kind of revealed some of those things. And it was really rough. And at the end of it, I kind of could see three, four years later, I was like, man, that was a really good thing that happened, even though in the moment I was experiencing the suffering of not being able to play, the suffering of not being able to have that as my identity, my suffering is not being able to do something that I thought I loved so much. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever had something like that that got lost from an injury or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I played volleyball, but it was never that central to my identity. Right. Um, and plus, I was older when I started playing, so it's not like I, you know, grew up playing little league or something like right. that, and, and all my friends and all that. But when you when you had the injury, and you're going through this, what what you're terming as suffering, and I believe it was, what did it do to you emotionally? Like, how did you suffer? What like were you acting out? Were you short tempered? Were, like, what were the things that happened when you were going through the suffering? Yeah, I guess the byproduct of it was, like, I felt like I didn't have a purpose. Okay. Like, in so in the sense restless? of I would... Yeah, I would, like, I mean, I'm always restless, but <laughs> I I feel like I didn't have, like, motivation to go to school. Okay. Like, motivation to go to school, like, why do I even care? You like, I can't motivation. do this. Okay. Yeah, that, that was... that I, Motivation was a big part of it. Yeah, I was angry at times. Um, okay. I can't remember specific like moments usual? of that. Like, you'd, you'd get more angry than you usually were? Yeah, just angry the fact that, like, I couldn't couldn't play or couldn't attempt to be a part of that. Did you ever go to games? 
Yeah. What was that like? Whatever game. Yeah, it sucked. I mean, it was just like I got to watch it, but it was just kind of like, okay, like, hmm. once again, why am I here? I'm not doing anything. Not that I was, like, good or special or, like, I was going to go to college for it, but it was just kind of like, man, like, I didn't even get to experience the rest of that. Okay. So missing out, almost like a fear of missing out was what I got from that moment. And it moved me on to different things. I got to experience different things. I'm thankful for that. But, yeah, the emotions that I was processing in the moment were anger, um, restlessness, lack of motivation, okay. um, and just fear of missing out. There's something you said earlier, and we, we were talking about Mary and Martha. Mm-hmm. And how they, if you can read between the lines in the scripture, because it doesn't give you a full description of their mental makeup or their emotional makeup. But if you can read the between the lines, you do notice that Martha is reacting differently than Mary is. And we talked about that. And it just, as we've been going through this conversation, I think I was looking for the theological meaning of Martha's description of suffering versus Mary's description of suffering, because that's often what I do as a pastor is I'm looking for, all right, here's what John is saying about what happened. John has an agenda. He wants us to hear something. What does he want us to hear? Mm. And I think you hit the nail on the head. They are also two very different women who, though in the same family, just like me and my sister were in the same family, they experienced the the grief and loss of their their brother differently. Mm. Martha... No, I have to go from memory. I think Martha was the first one that Jesus ran into. Yeah. And she comes to Jesus and says, man, I wish you were here. You know, we something could have happened differently. Right. And Like he might still be alive if you were here. Kind right, of right, right, right. Yeah. And then Jesus says, he gives her like a word of, of theological depth, like a long-term view, an eternal perspective sort right. of in like two lines. And it kind of reminds me of the woman at the well. It was a similar conversation. Like she comes to, or she's at the well. Jesus says, can I have some water? She says, you know, I'm not sure I'm the one that give you this water. And he goes theological, mm-hmm. right? He goes meaning, yep. gives her a word. And it kind of felt like that with Martha. But with Mary, it didn't. Mm-hmm. It was like with Martha, he ta- he's talking about the resurrection. She says, yes, I believe in it. Like that's where he is with her. But with Mary... You know, he gets, he moves to Mary and Mary like just falls at his feet mm. and says kind of the same thing that, that Martha did. Wish you had been here or something like that. If you had been here, it would have been different. Yeah. And to her, he reacts a little differently. I, I, I've got it. Uh, no, I think you're doing a great job of like okay. explaining that. And it leads me. I know I've got the chapter, but. It leads me to. Jesus often meets us where we're at. Like he meets us where we're at okay. in our suffering. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it makes the suffering easier. It doesn't mean it makes it any less painful. But he meets us where we're at with how we're wired and how he's wired us. You know, he met Martha in a different place and he met Mary in a different place. And I'm sure there were other people that we don't even get clued in on that he met in a different place, which is kind of cool. So she comes to him and said, I mean, she and Mary say the same basic Right. Which was, so Martha said, Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So she replies with a word back to him, basically. Like you've got enough authority with God. You've got got a relationship with God that whatever you ask 
from God. God will give you. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she misinterprets, I think, what he means a little bit, like she's right. He will rise again on the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Mm -hmm. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's like this word, right? It's a theological word he gives. Do you believe this? So now it's a creed almost. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, are you in agreement with this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And that's the end of that conversation. So what does Mary say? So then, yeah, he goes, let's see, it says, when she had said this, meaning Martha, mm-hmm. she went and called her sister Mary. So she leaves wherever, says, hey, Mary, um, come here. And she says in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So Mary's response when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So it sounds like it was a little bit of a distance. Uh, Then it shifts to when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, meaning Mary, when they saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So it sounds like an entourage, Mary and an entourage come to meet Jesus. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, here's what she did. She fell at his feet, which Martha did not do, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, which is the exact same thing that Martha said. But she stopped there. She didn't say anything after that. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So to Martha... She, she gives a, a word. She says, if, if you'd been here, he would not have died. And then says, hey, you and, you and God are tight. He'll give you what, you what you ask for. And he responds with a word. With Mary, she says the same thing. If you'd been here and he would not have died. And then, then ends, that converse, ends that right there. And she was weeping. And he was deeply moved. So it's, it's the same response from both women. It's different ways that they acted out the response. Yeah. But Jesus also met them where they were at right. in the type of response that they gave. So how did he meet Martha where she was at? So he met with, it feels like, and it sounds like a more even-keeled, matched tone okay. to where she was at. She was probably, like, she was obviously grieving, right. and she was asking the question, basically, why God? Like, what, like, but you can also, right. you can you can do whatever. Right. And he, he met her with that theological piece. On the same level. On like the same level, yeah. She's meeting him at the word, and he's giving her a word. And it goes back and forth. And he gives her hope. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, then... What, and then Mary, Mary. Mary gets up quickly. She's moving in haste, and he responds to her weeping with weeping. Meets right at the same... He does the same thing. He gets on her level. Yeah. And it was the same thing. It was the same statement. And yeah. so he supplied what was needed emotionally mm-hmm. to fit their individual needs. All right. And I think that's I think that's really cool because I, I feel like it, the suffering was the same because it was the same mm-hmm. grieving that they were having over the same person. I mean, mm-hmm. but he he met it with a different tone that supplied yeah. what they needed, and and that's really awesome because that's the kind of God we have. And there might be people who are listening that have followed Jesus their whole life, and they're like, yeah, like I know that God. And there are some people that are listening here and don't know Jesus or don't trust Jesus or have tons of questions. And need to hear, this is the kind of God this that we have. This is the kind have. of God we have, yeah. He meets you where you're at and you're suffering. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easier. Right. But it means that he will meet you with what you need in the right 
time in the right space in the right moment and a day from now a week from now a month from now a year from now 15 years from now you will see what the benefit or the byproduct or the blessing was through it it's not gonna be easy though so the first crew that hear about this death that was the disciples no sorry it was Jesus Jesus was the one that learned that he was ill but he was also the one that knew that he had died. Mm-hmm. So somehow Jesus knew. Yeah. He hadn't been told he died, but ju- somehow Jesus knew. And when he was describing it to the disciples, who I th- I'm getting the sense they're like a step removed. From the incident. From the incident, okay. yeah. Like you've got Lazarus, his two sisters, they're like right there with the grief. And, and Jesus, who's right there with the grief because Lazarus was a friend of Jesus's. Yeah. One step further is the disciples, I think. Because when they hear about it, you don't get any sense of mourning or grieving from them. They're more concerned with, like, like Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to Judea. And he doesn't tell them why. Yeah. And they say, are you sure you want to go to Judea? Because they're going to stone you there. Right. Like, we just got out of there and you want to go back. Then he comes back and gives them a little bit. He says, our, our friend Lazarus, my friend, our friend, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So then the disciples said, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. So second explanation, they've been given a little bit of information, but they think he means sleep, sleep, and Jesus means dead sleep. Sleep, sleep. Right. (laughs) Then the next thing he says is, Lazarus has died. And, oh my goodness. Revelation. Well, okay, so when you first came into my office, when you first came to my office, I was wondering about verse 16. And that's the, the only thing that started our conversation. I said... Here's this verse. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Yeah. And we were... Sarcastic kind of Thomas. Is it, is it sarcastic? Like, fine, if he wants to go to Judea, he, you know, he might get stoned. Let's go die with him. Like, is it that kind of response? And it all kind of comes down to who he's talking about. Right. Is he talking about die with Lazarus or die with Jesus? Now, having said all these things, I think I'm back with the die with Lazarus thing. You think that he is saying die with Lazarus? I think that's what he said. I think it's a it's a statement of grief. Thomas oh. called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Like not die, not like kill ourselves because right. Lazarus is dead, but that we might grieve, grieve with him. Why would he, why would he grieve that way? The only reason I say that is we're we're kind of going back the different ways these characters experience grief. And would I they have known if, Lazarus? Well, it says well, our friend Lazarus. Our friend. Okay, so our friend. Right. So it, you I know, w- we had played with it earlier. Like maybe it's Thomas saying, "All right, you know, let's let's all go with Jesus as his entourage to protect him. And if someone hurts him, they hurt us. Let's go die with him, mm-hmm. like Jesus." Like, let's go in deep with So Jesus. there's that. There's sarcasm. Or, there's sarcasm. Or, or Thomas is grieving. I didn't, I didn't pick up the our friend Lazarus in the NLT, but I might have missed that. Is that your translation? Yeah, but that, that's in the ESV. Yeah. Okay. I want, I'm just thinking about, like, how does, this, how does this play out? My mind just goes to all these applications. Sure. But, like, what is, does this say something about authentic biblical community centered around Christ where it's like okay the level of grieving that you have is severe for your brothers and sisters in Christ the people that you're surrounded with 
but then also the you know first thessalonians don't grieve the way the world grieves grieve differently because you know that one day you will be with them again so it's just kind of that's where my mind goes in all of this i'm thinking the message to martha might be like that right because he's talking about resurrection she's talking about resurrection she says i know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day it's like a word of hope I'm not, I don't need to grieve as everyone else does because I know I'll see my brother again. But here, I don't know, at first I thought it was like a, a level removed, and it would be from sisters and, and brother. But I wonder if they, they knew Lazarus so well as well that Thomas is basically rallying them together and saying, yeah, let's go grieve So if it's, Jesus. So if it is that, yeah. the question that I would ask, and I think people who are listening would ask, mm. how did Jesus meet Thomas? Not in this story. So then I don't think it's that. Because he would have met him the same way he met Martha and Mary and everybody else in the story who is grieving. Okay. You know what I mean? So I don't think it would be that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why would he just ignore Thomas and then all of a sudden be like, but Martha, but Mary, ah. Maybe this is Thomas meeting Jesus. Like, Jesus is distraught. Like, then Hmm. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And then we see it later, though, that he's distraught. And Thomas says, all right, let's go. Let us all also go that we may die with him. No, but he's not saying that to Jesus. He's saying it to his fellow disciples. Huh. I mean, we don't want to force too much into any given text, but I think what this text through and through is describing is different people's experience with grief and suffering and this miracle that happens when Jesus raises Lazarus. But notice, after the raising of Lazarus, we don't get a whole lot of unpacking by the by the people right we get the unpacking of their suffering right. we don't get the unpacking after of their joy of him being raised again mm. in fact the only unpacking that we get of him being raised is the people who the 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 jews it says the jews and usually that's religious leaders in this case it may not be but how they reacted that's the unpacking we get in verse 45 and beyond some of them believed in him but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. We don't get a whole lot of the consequences of this resurrection are discussed by the Pharisees and who else? Chief priests and the Pharisees. But we don't get this emotional, uh, yeah, it's different. Again, the consequences become the blessing that we all get to benefit from that's today. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's kind of cool. Once again, the suffering that has taken place leads to the blessing that we have today. Yeah. Which is Jesus dying on the cross for each of our sins. Like that's that's really amazing. Yeah. What so there's a section in this passage where the Jewish there's just some Jewish people around who are like, okay, like he healed the blind man and he could see now. But now you have this Lazarus guy. Couldn't he have prevented this? Couldn't he stop this? Yeah, that's what verse is that? Verse thirty five. So the famous verse Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. That really short verse. Get Jesus that tattooed wept. right across right. your chest. Then verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So this is, that's the classic question of theodicy. We've got two different things coming up. We get the the character of God in Christ. See how he loved him, mm-hmm. right? So that's Christology, I think. See how he loved him. And then balanced with that or against that, we have the question of theodicy. 
Which is basically, if he could have stopped him from dying in the first place, why didn't he? Right. So why did he have to suffer? And so, real quick, break those two words down that you just threw out, because okay, there yeah. might be people who are like, what is he so talking about? Cr- Christology is Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the study of Christ, uh, the character of Christ, uh, what he does. Um, it, it's not so much about salvation through Christ. That's uh, what soteriology. I know I'm going to get the word wrong, but Christology is more about the character and nature of Christ, mm-hmm. his divine nature, his human nature. Theodicy is the question of evil. That's one way to think of it as the question of evil in relationship to God. Like God is good. Why is there evil? Why is there yeah. suffering? Yeah. Right. And if God is an all-powerful God, yeah. then doesn't God have the power to end all suffering? If God is a, um, an all-seeing God and God knows that suffering is going to happen, why doesn't God you know, head that off at the past or something like right. that? Which, honestly, and, and you know this, theodicy, if any pastor says they have the full answer to theodicy. Lie. It, it ain't it. They're just, you can't. It. Um, it's it's either going to be a form of cheap grace, mm. or it's it's going to be a uh, an idea that well it's just God's will and we got to you know just suck it up and, and right. deal with it. Both of those are not terribly helpful, and both of those are not terribly biblical. Right. Um, but yeah, that's the Odyssey. So they are really bringing up two two heavy topics and. You know, in two sentences, some said, see how he loved him. And I get the sense that what John is telling us is those who believed connected with see how he loved him. Mm. And those who didn't believe connected with, well, why didn't he fix it in the first place? So this sounds pretty familiar. Yeah. We all have different opinions and perspectives about the same thing. Yeah. And that's what makes up that human experience. They all have a different perspective of this moment of Jesus weeping showing grief, being there for somebody, eventually raising this guy from the dead. So do you do you see this as part of their grief? I mean, it is probably part of it is probably because the people who were around, I'm sure they would have had some sort of relationship and they're in the same community, so they would have known this person. They, they would have known Lazarus. They were with Mary and, and, Mar- and presumably Martha as well. So they were questioning. Like, have so, you, you've had bad things happen and you ask God why. They so were, in we a sense, asking responses. God why. We have two responses in grief. One is see how he loved him. They see this positive, this human connection. And these other ones who are hitting that cynical kind of grief stage maybe, which I think we all have. I feel like I was just about to say, I feel like I fall into the cynicism yeah. way more than the positive. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a natural thing. I imagine if we did like a study of grief or brought in a famous study of grief, you'd probably hit all those things right. that people go through. I never saw those two verses as being grief, though. I always read those as huh, the good guys identified with how Jesus loved <laughs> his friend and the bad the guys, guys were just mean to Jesus and didn't accept a nice thing. Sounds like a that sounds like a really watered down Sunday school <laughs> lesson. <laughs> it is. It's an intellectual level reading, I think. Yeah. And a heart reading of this would see the human experience mm. and wonder if that might be part of what John is saying. Now, I, I don't know that we can make John say that. Right. But it, it helps me, I think, to see their response a little differently. 
I mean, one of the things that Jesus does in John's gospel is he feels. Yeah. He experiences, and, and they're human experiences. One of them is here, one of the famous ones. He weeps. He weeps when he sees other people weeping about his friend. He, he is moved at the cave when he gets there, even though he knows, I think, he knows what's going to happen. I read that, that he knows what's going to happen, mm. that, that, that Lazarus will be raised. But yet he still experiences the pain. And for some reason, I was not willing to give the, the Jews or the Jewish leaders or whoever that were mourning with Mary and Martha, yeah. doing a human thing, I was not willing to see them as that. I mm. was willing to see them theologically, intellectually. Right. And it's so funny. I mean, there's there's so many different topics that are just being weaved in throughout all of this. But I feel like as Christians, how often do we do that in our everyday lives where we look at it theologically and yeah. intellectually and we find ourselves casting judgment on somebody mm-hmm. for the grief and the processing that is natural to being a human? Right. Because to say we've never done that would be a lie. And that's just wild to think about. Like, there's that, that instinct. I think it's programmed into us as Christians. And I don't mean this in a negative light, but I think there is that instinct when we are confronted with someone who's suffering. Like, we feel like we need to be the ones to either fix it, end the suffering. To save them. Right. Yeah. Or give them the hope. Like, you know the resurrection's going to happen or something. You right. Know? And if that's not where they were... It falls on deaf, deaf ears. Yeah, yeah. So, so I like, now that you say it, I like how Jesus did it with Martha. Like, Martha was the one who, who took it to the level of, of theology, of, of Christology. I know right. you have a relationship with God. You can ask for things, and, right. and God will give them to you. She was the one that took it there. That's where she was. Yeah. And Jesus goes, okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying. You know about this resurrection mm-hmm. thing, right? And she says, yeah, oh, I know about that resurrection thing. And he says, okay, but... Da, 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 do you believe this? And she says, I believe it. And so it, it, it's exactly what you needed right then. Yeah. Which is what you said. Yeah. Or, okay. You it's, ama- it's amazing. I love it because then, yeah, Mary goes back and he doesn't try to hope her and gospel her and theology her. Right, right. He's just the shoulder to cry on. Cry with. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes on to, to work this this uh, this sign act, this this resurrection act on Lazarus's friend, which is what we I think in preaching and teaching in Sunday school we focus on that. You know I can see it in my head. I can see the cartoon of a tomb that looks a lot like the Easter cartoon of Jesus's tomb. I hate you. You know I hate you. And I hate you so much. And I see the tombs like opening, and I can see like the mummy Lazarus uh, coming out because he's got wrappings that says he was still bound in wrappings. Listen, for those of you who are listening for the first time, I can't picture things. Eddie cannot picture things in my mind. It's called aphantasia, and uh, so then Chris likes to just throw these little images out that Is I it can't. Aphantasia see. or aphasia? Aphantasia. Okay, all right. Like the singer. I was thinking of the Disney movie, Fantasia. Never seen it. Okay. So you can't see images. I can. And the one I see is the a cartoon. Jesus shows up for me just, just like you should. Different ways. Different ways. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like, so, yeah, so this I just mean, feels like a circular conversation at this point. <laughs> so we focus on the raising. And I think rightly so, the sign is there, right? right. I've, I've preached from this on I don't know how many funerals because it, it connects, right. right? But it's it's the resurrection hope that really... You know, that's 
in the midst of the grief and we have acknowledged the grieving has happened and we have acknowledged who this person meant to us. We've done that work. We've done the early chapter 11 work in the funeral. And now we reach the moment of the message and I need, I got to give them, you know, here, let me, let me tell you about what happened to Lazarus. Let me tell you what happened to Jesus. Let me tell you what can happen, will happen to you. Um, But all of that to say, all of that said, before you get to Lazarus, you get to all these people. And I, I, I think there's something John is sharing with us about suffering and hope and the difficulty of hope and difficult circumstances and false blessing versus true blessing and all that stuff. Yeah. And then after Lazarus, we get this piece about the plot to kill Jesus, which is the climax of conflicts. So this thing that Lazarus, this thing that Jesus does with Lazarus, is is the end of a long line of things that he did for a blind man, for you know a woman blind well. woman. Well, not the woman. Well, he didn't he didn't do a, a miracle for her, but he did do oh, all these yeah. signs, right? So each one of those signs leads to more and more conflict, and this is like the the climax. You wouldn't call it a miracle that he knew what happened in her life so much so that it brought right. her to There's like a being sign. Like, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Because a she whole said, town was then influenced okay, to follow okay. Jesus. Okay, so you're right. You're absolutely right. And she's the one that said it. Let me tell you about this guy who knows more about me than anyone. Right. This stranger. Okay, you're right. That's, that's a sign. That's a sign. Um, here, this sign of resurrection is the one that immediately precedes they plot to kill Jesus, mm. which... That connection to the resurrection that happens after they kill Jesus, I mean, it, it's it's direct. Yeah. You know, it's right there. I don't know where we go from here. I, that just feels I, like I, that's a lot. I don't think we go anywhere. I think we we have definitely sat with this text for a little while now yeah. today. I'm just trying to think of well, what are the gaps? What are the missing pieces? What are the things on the table or the floor, because this is the cutting room floor, <laughs> that are just kind of like strewn about that you know, people might have. Maybe maybe if you're listening, maybe if you're watching wherever you're at, YouTube or any podcast place, then what questions do you still have uh, potentially about the scripture or just things that you've experienced when you've suffered through loss yeah. or grief or heartache or any kind of pain that you felt? I think that's the yeah. heart of it. I think that's the heart of it. The Again, the human experience. Yeah. that That is what I think, when we're talking about biblical study exegetical study is is one of the terms the exegesis that you mm-hmm. do to to mine the text for for meaning that's applicable to life the human experience part of it i think might be the hardest thing for us to do yeah it's easy for me to study facts it's easy for us to connect oh yeah he said the same thing in this verse maybe they're connected like that's easy but the human connection that's that's where the real work is yeah so let's, yeah, maybe we sure. focus on that. And I, yeah, and I think that's what it's going to be moving forward, just kind of okay. talking through some of those things. I mean, I think, I feel like a lot of our conversations are going to come back down to what people are experiencing, what we're experiencing, like. yeah. what people inside and outside of the church are experiencing. And suffering is just one one little piece of mm-hmm. the puzzle of the human experience. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many other things. There's creation. We just talked about loss. We, uh, you know, Birth, Trans- um, there's transformation. Transformation. Your life changes. Yeah. Um, and what does it mean to actually have your life change? There's right. hundreds more that I can't even think of. Well, but we will. Now that you're on the, on the uh, spot, I, I need you to list them all. Yeah. Right. All infinite amount of things. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much for joining us um, here at the cutting room floor. And so we're going to be doing this every week. And uh, so if you've been joining us in video, we're going to keep posting videos. But this is the first podcast that we're dropping. And so it's going to be exciting to see what happens from here. And so leave us a review. Rate us. Uh, if you think we're great, tell us we're great. If you think we're awful, you can tell us that we're awful. Yeah, That's go fine. Correct us too. I'm yeah. sure we, we missed something. Oh yeah, I feel we, we always miss everything. We will. I feel like we, we have to circle back. Like oh, we should have thought about that yeah. or said that. But yeah. Anyway. Okay. Cool. Well, awesome. We will see you guys next week on the cutting room floor. Yep. Amen.